Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Um, my guest today is Mike Doty, director of ARC, uh, the ARC Project. How are you doing, Mike? Good, thanks. How are you doing, Rich? Good to meet you. Yeah, to on thanks show. for coming. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so I know that Arc has a token that's traded on, uh, you know, an exchange or two at least. Um, but tell me about the project. What is, uh, what was the concept of Arc? What do you, what do you guys do? Yeah, the concept of Arc is we're a cryptocurrency. It's based on a different consensus algorithm than Bitcoin. It's called delegated proof of stake, where the token holders vote for a group of delegates who actually secure the blockchain and create the blocks. We're geared towards mass adoption with our structure and consensus system. We have a much lower actual cost for transactions. That's right now in pennies instead of dollars like Bitcoin or Ethereum. And another feature of ARC is the ability to bridge other coins or blockchains so that the different blockchains can communicate with each other via the main ARC blockchain, as well as sending out transactions to each other. So you can think of the ARC main chain as sort of a TCP IP for blockchain technology. So what we're doing is keeping the technology as simple as possible so that less can go wrong and it can run very leanly and quickly we have an eight second block time and transaction speed of 200 transactions per second that we've tested to so far and continuing to approve and improve on that i've heard a little bit about um, blockchains interacting with each other what's going to be some of the use cases you think of blockchains interacting what do you see will be the use of it um one major one is the ability to have decentralized exchange in a trustless system. The right now, usually to exchange crypto involves sending your coins to a, an exchange with centralized servers and you're trusting them to actually hold it. And then you trade on the exchange and then you withdraw whatever you've exchanged it to back into your own wallet. So with decentralized exchange, if the blockchains can communicate directly with each other, then it means that they can hold accounts and exchange coins directly 
from wallets from one to another instead of going through a central exchange. So it becomes a trustless system where you don't have to trust any central authority or entity to actually have what you've deposited and what other users have deposited. Instead, it's all right there on the blockchain and they exchange with each other with no middleman in between. I didn't realize that 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 would be great without having to use a centralized exchange, which can get hacked. They can halt your withdrawals. They can be shut down, all kinds of stuff. Right, exactly. It creates a central point of failure, which the idea, one of the ideas, and it's been sort of a holy grail in crypto, is to have decentralized exchange instead. How, yeah, how far off do you think it's going to be until um, blockchains can interact with each other on scale? You know, maybe the top 20 coins, the top 100 coins. That's really hard to say. Uh, some depends on what the individual chains, what they want to do. But with our bridging, we can either do it as a code snippet that's inserted into the code of the chain wanting to bridge through us, or we can set it up more as a relay. For instance, we already have a, an Ethereum listener that's been created that can send, do sends on the Ethereum blockchain from the ARC blockchain using a smart contract. So that's sort of our first initial case. And with that, it that can be expanded to include like any of the ERC-20 tokens. That's all these different tokens that have been doing the crowd sales on Ethereum. So that opens up quite a few more on top of Ethereum. And our uh, core is development is scheduled to be done in December. So what we are providing is like the base platform, and then it will be up to other developers to build on top of that as far as decentralized exchange and other applications. We are also, we fund projects that come along from the community to work on these kind of objects. So that's, that's like later on, probably over the next year, I would say, you know, sometime in 2018. What about um, Bitcoin and, you know, other proof of work coins? Is that later in the roadmap to integrate with their chains? You know, Bitcoin specifically, since it's the, the largest market cap and the most venerable, when do you enter? Yes. Yes. So that's later in the mo uh, roadmap to actually develop those use cases. So right now we don't really give dates on our development prog progress because things happen in software. So we, if you look at our website too, you'll notice on our roadmap, we avoid giving dates and just have a list of the milestones and the percentage of completion. That's because we don't want to hype or give false expectations or expectations that end up not being met. So really the way we manage the project and operate is we... We just announce developments as they're available and they occur and avoid giving advanced dates on them. Since you're on the inside with, with software development, why are delays so common? And you know, are you surprised when projects get delayed? Is it because the developers are lazy and not executing or is it because uh, it's just the nature of software? It's really the nature of software in a lot of cases is that when you actually get into writing the code and especially debugging the code that a lot of unforeseen issues come up and that's what leads to delay delays 
And really, that's where most of the delays come from, is the debugging and test, much more so than the original concept and the and the initial execution. It it's typically they're very complex when you can have hundreds of thousands of lines of code. Your probability of having an error in there somewhere increases, and it's more of an exponential increase that as the number of and complexity of the code increases, that the um, the probability of an error goes up by a factor, like a square of the amount of lines of code or an exponent. It's not linear. So you don't have just twice the error rate you know, by doubling the number of lines of code and the complexity. It, it can be some larger number than just twice. That's a lot of it. And Is that why yeah, you're just, trying to keep the code as simple as possible to avoid that fate? Exactly. That was like the idea with uh, TCPIP when the internet was put together was to keep the core technology as simple as possible because you had a lot of different kinds of computers that were at universities, research labs, other places. So by keeping the interconnecting technology as simple as possible, then it allowed for a lot of different types of computers to connect to form the internet. And also, yeah, the less complex it is, the less likely you are to have problems with it. So that's why, yeah, you keep the core technology as simple as possible, then you build your complexity around the edges. So on top of TCP IP, we've ended up with email, first we had email and news groups, and then that developed, they added the World Wide Web and HTML, and now we have dynamic content, PHP, a lot of other things built on top of TCP IP. And that's the idea with ARC as well, that that we it's very simple and flexible to add a lot of other much more complex things on top of it. Yeah, so we also we have development active going on with um, Internet of Things, IoT. We have a build. Oh, tell me about that project. Learning. How's that working? Very good. Our initial use cases is we're rolling out a pair of electronic door locks, which can be controlled from the blockchain. They're built using, using the uh, Raspberry Pi Arduino as the controller. And what the blockchain enables with IoT is that it authenticates all of the users and the locks, the devices, so that the blockchain, in a sense, it acts as a decentralized certificate authority that holds the credentials of who is supposed to have access to that device, in this case, a lock. So the lock sits as one account on the ARC blockchain, and then the owner of the lock has his account. And so when the um, ARC, when the uh, lock, with its Raspberry Pi running the ARC client, when it sees a transaction that's addressed to it, its account, then it, it listens and then it knows to receive the command that's sent in that transaction. Through ARC, we have what is known as a vendor field, which can send data and it stores it on the blockchain. So then once the uh, door lock, it sees that its owner has, owning account has sent a command to it, then it responds to that command. So it can open the lock for the sender or it can transfer permission to another account so that other account can also open the lock. And then the owner of the lock can also, on the blockchain, revoke the permissions. So control of the lock 
can be granted, it can be transferred to another account as a new owner, or it can be revoked. So say in a, a rental situation like Airbnb that you only want to allow access to a lock for a given time period while the person is renting the room or the house, then you send that out on the blockchain to allow that that account, that holder to open the lock and then when his rental period is expired then you can cancel that permission that's all stored on the blockchain so that's that's an, an initial use case we're working but the beauty of it is with raspberry pi that okay. same code then can be used for all kinds of things not just actuating the motors of an electric door lock but it can also turn on lights it can um, it can access sensor data that's been stored by the Raspberry Pi and do other control issues. So anything you can do with the Raspberry Pi and Arduino, you could control with the blockchain using the same code, just adjusting the um, inputs and outputs for a given use case. Yeah. Yeah, I guess Slocket was um, an early company that uh, wanted to do Internet of Things locks. Um why why not leverage their existing technology? Why build your own system? Do you see that uh, it needs improvements or changes? Yeah, so that's we're very close to what Slocket is doing, but so far our budget is a lot lower. We're giving a bounty to the developers that have been doing it. So I guess a total of we spent twenty thousand dollars US total. Whoops, but twenty thousand ARC that we've given to the two developers that are working on these. So we have two versions that are in the works. So, yeah, it's very similar to what Socket is doing, but without the $500,000 budget. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, see all kinds of use for about this. The, uh, the ARC token, What's the, what was the purpose of it? Was it just to raise money for the organization, or is there um, another use for it? Um, yeah, see... Well, of course, the um, the ARC token, that was to fund the development, really, and the marketing to promote it. So it's, and so we started with a test net, which was already running when we did the token exchange. And then that was a crowd sale, much like what you have on, on a Kickstarter, in which we were pre-selling the tokens to access the network. And then the... Funds we uh, receive Bitcoin and another coin called Lisk in return is used to compensate the developers for building the rest of the platform, the core. Mm. And then right. also right. we have some that is used for PR, you know, promotion and marketing, so that people know what we're actually doing. And it's also funny we have a very large black community. We're up to like. Almost forty five hundred members now, like forty four ninety one last I checked. Wow. So it's okay. yeah, it's basically like any type of a non profit organization or foundation where you're you know, you do a fundraising to pay for the project that you're doing to roll it out there. So you said that uh your organization ARC organization is very decentralized, you know, before we got on the call. What can you say about that? What's What's the intent and how does the structure look and what do you guys want the structure to be ideally? So interesting enough, when we first started, we were all delegates for another delegated proof of stake coin called LISC. And 
So while we were waiting for LISC to start doing the forging rewards where the delegate operators receive actual LISC in return for running the nodes, some of us decided to start a new coin, fork the LISC code, and start a new one. We had a really good developer, Francois Xavier Thren, who was really good with coding. And so he developed this new version and um, removed some of the bugs that the other code had had. And then, so there was 27 of us, and we were more of a group. We'd already, we were like a, a delegate organization that had formed to help each other with technical expertise on LISC. And so we had already been functioning as a team before we started ARC for quite a few months. So. That was reformed arc, and everyone just kind of jumped in and did different tasks, and it's self-organized. And then we have like a board, so the group elected a number of members as an interim board, including myself, to mm. so we could interface with external entities, mainly because you know when you're dealing with other companies, individuals, uh, people, they. They want to see some kind of a company structure, so that's how we right. have an elected board. But even there, we try to keep it as decentralized as possible. So that's how we've evolved. We're kind of an actual functioning version of a DAO, decentralized autonomous organization, to some degree. What? Well, can you talk about um, any challenges with that? You know, what have you seen now that you guys are trying to live that lifestyle? You can say. What's the good and the bad of it? Any difficulties? <laughs> the bad of it is that you know, without a hierarchical structure is that it can sometimes be take longer to reach a consensus that obviously if all the decision-making is with one person and he doesn't have to consult with anyone, he can respond to something much sooner. But also that means he's more likely to have an error because things aren't discussed and you know, you don't have the wisdom of the crowd that you get with a larger group. So that's one challenge. Things can take longer sometimes also because we do have so much autonomy that one person or a smaller subset group of individuals might do something and take an action that another doesn't agree with. So sometimes it can seem as though you're hearing two different things from the same organization. So you know, once in a while, we've had to, you know, straighten that kind of thing out where, you know, it's because we're fairly informal and in how we arrive at decisions, we don't do much formal voting that, you know, you can have something said or an action taken that later is countermanded or disagreed or it has to be changed. So we've had that. Fortunately, it has nothing been serious along those lines, but that is something have something that's happened once in a while. The other, another challenge is that in any large group, some people are more outgoing than others. So, and that's been part of my challenge as managing director is I try to make sure that everyone gets heard and that we don't have dominant members taking over the whole project. In, in Scrum, they call it like a safety check where you go around the group and everyone sees how they've basically expresses their feelings and if they feel comfortable in the situation. So those are some of the challenges. But overall, it's been a great environment to work in, very different than your typical corporate 
hierarchical environment. I've been very happy Last with the whole group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what what do you think, you know, I know this is not directly related to ARC, but what do you think is the future of you know, autonomous organizations? Do you think that a lot more will spring up and be successful, or do you think this is, um, it's a real niche type of uh, thing, and like a commune or a kibbutz, and there'll only be a few instances of it? Uh, I think it's going to be huge that we'll see a lot more of it, that that basically when you can, anytime you can turn something into a, a much more trustless organization where it's fair, it's incorruptible, then that gives it a huge advantage. I see all, there's, uh, right now we have a situation where a few people make a lot of money and a lot of the users you know, are supplying all the value and don't get any compensation in return. And that's the thrust of what we're doing is the whole idea is that the users own and control the network and not some centralized entity and that it runs in an open, transparent manner. And for instance, almost anything you can think of that is a matchmaking market, such as Airbnb, Uber, where you have a centralized service that's matching up providers and users in this case, that can all be replaced by an autonomous organization where the uh, providers, for instance, Uber drivers or Airbnb room providers, you know, bike rentals, whatever, can be matched up with the users. And together, they're the ones that own and control the network because they hold the tokens, the users that spend them, and the providers that receive them. And in turn, they can vote in and decide how the network is run and managed. In our case, with delegated proof of stake, they collectively, they vote for and decide who owns the delegates and runs them. And so you're eliminating a lot of overhead. If you look at a chart of the economy, like about the four or the five top segments of the economy are almost all pure overhead, which could be replaced with these kind of autonomous organizations. And that's like giving everyone else a 100% raise if you're just eliminating the overhead that required in a trusted environment and replacing that with these automated autonomous organizations. Gotcha. Well, very good. So how can um, listeners find out more about ARC, you know, join your Slack, et cetera? Okay. Um, well, our Slack <coughs> is at ARC Ecosystem, and that's ARC spelled with a K, A-R-K. And our uh, website is arc.io, A-R-K, period, I-O. And we also have Telegram channels, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and links for all of those are on the arc.io website. Okay, well, very good. Well, Mike, thanks so much for taking the time, and I really appreciate it. Thanks, Rich. It's been great talking to you. I appreciate it. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to bitcoinsuperconference.com and register today as a super early bird 
to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.